say all the things I would have said about them if I did. <laughs> Becky was such a fixture at camp that for like 10 years, we just took her for granted. It was her, actually it was her and Tanya Riffle in those days, just side by side all the time and, and such a fixture. Steve started coming out to camp. He was less of a fixture. He wasn't out there a whole lot, but I remember he is such a nerd that, <laughs> that he found out I played chess. We were at some, some deal. He pulled out a little paper chess set with little paper pieces. And I'm such a nerd, we played. <laughs> His dad walked by to pick him up and he said, take it easy on him, Steve. And we both looked up and said, okay. <laughs> and we were both lying. <laughs> but I don't think we ever finished that game because she had to go. And Steve was, uh, I, I, I never could figure Steve out because he was, don't mean to embarrass you, the best guy's cabin leader I ever saw. Those kids, behaved for him, and I thought, why are they behaving for this nerd? <laughs> but it, it just, it didn't, but he did. They, he, you know, whatever it was he did, I, I decided it was a spiritual gift, and, and I couldn't believe it. And when he went into to the Marines, I said, Steve, he's a nerd. <laughs> he can't be a, and then I, I, I heard Marine pilot, and I said, no way. And then when I heard he was going to the mission field, I didn't have any problem at all with that. Because, uh, and, and, and when, when, when uh, you know, I shouldn't say Steve at that point, Steve and Becky, because that was just the, that was a no-brainer from day one. Uh, it's just not hard to see, although I, I get such a kick out of it that he's going with jars. I never quite realized that he went from being a jar head <laughs> to a jars head. So, okay, so with that, have pity on them, take information and support them, because <laughs> with friends like me, <laughs> okay. Revelation 22. 1 through 5. Picture Adam and Eve. We're, we're, we're starting to Genesis once again. We keep going back between Genesis and Revelation, and we'll be back to Genesis in a few minutes. But Adam and Eve are happily in the Garden of Eden, right? They're happily in the Garden of Eden, and the tree of life is there. It's been pointed out to them and identified to them. There's, you know, the two trees in particular in the center of the garden, the, garden of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. The tree of the life is there, and they never ate of it. Can you imagine that? Uh, walking, coming along the tree of life. Are, are you going to eat of it? You see the tree of life? How, I mean, how far are you going to go out of your way to get to the tree of life? I mean, if it's in Afghanistan, right, we're all buying tickets because the tree of life is there. But why should they? Nothing had ever died. Nothing had ever grown old. I, I'm convinced they were only a few days into, into this creation thing. Uh, nothing had ever gotten old. They never saw a leaf wilt. Right? I, I don't think they ever saw a, 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 an overwatered plant. I don't think they ever saw leaves drop. I, I don't think they saw anything. And so there was no rush. What's the big deal? Tree of life. Who, you know, it's one of those things you don't know what you, what you got until you miss it. And, uh, and then they sinned. And after they sinned, God brought them. You know, they, they, they made clothes of fig leaves to, to cover themselves. And God brought them clothing made of animals' hides. And you can just see the stunned looks on their faces when they realize the price of their sin. Right? Something had to die. The wages of our sin is death. And all of a sudden, can, can you see their hearts turn and say, I've got to get to that tree. And God says, no, the way to the tree of, the li of life is now barred. When they finally realized they needed it, 
it was gone. They could not go there. Imagine someone found that tree today. Can you imagine the money we would, I mean, think about the money we spend on, on insurance. Who, who in the last week has griped about the price of insurance? <laughs> My hand's staying up because I have, right? That we spend on medical, health, fitness, beauty products, right? How would you like to have the concession stand to the tree of life? The concession rights, I should say. It's like, uh, I mean, I, I could go on. I'm going to come back to the tree of life later, so I don't want to go too much on that. But Revelation 22 describes heaven as the home of the river of the water of life and of the tree of life. Okay. Today we're going to explore a little bit what that means. So let's start with the tree and the river. Okay, let me read this passage once again. We had it once, but verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of the lamp or the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Okay, before we get into this, I want to remind you that what we're seeing is presented from a vision. Right? I want to re re revisit a little bit the rules of understanding a vision. Because in a vision... Everything means something, but everything is not necessarily what it how it looks. You know, we, we, we could, to, to, to prove my point, think of the four living creatures around the throne. In Revelation, they're called the four living creatures. They have uh, the four heads. They have their wings. They're, they're covered with eyes. Uh, we find these four creatures in four different passages in three different books. Uh, they're in Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 6, and Revelation chapters 4 and 5. They're described in Revelation 4, not chapter 5, right? Uh, and, and in each one, there's a difference. Each creature in, in Ezekiel has four faces, right? On that one neck, there's, you picture, you know, this guy, it's like a, like a picture a Lego guy, you know, with a little four rotating heads or something. And, and there's four heads, there's, or there's four faces, uh, a lion, an eagle, an ox, and a man. Right? Those are the four faces uh, uh, that each of the flying creatures has in Ezekiel. In Revelation, each of the four creatures has a different face. And one has the face of a man, one has the face of a lion, one has the face of an ox, and one has the face of an eagle. It's the same four faces, but a different assortment of heads. Right? In, in Revelation, they have six wings. In Isaiah, they have six wings. In Ezekiel, they have four wings. Uh, in in uh, Revelation, there are... They are called four living creatures. In Ezekiel, they're called cherubim. And in Isaiah, they're called seraphim. And, and everything is different. I mean, not everything. Some things are different, but so many, enough things are the same that at least I conclude these are the same four creatures. They're around the throne of God when, when God appears in glory in a vision. But they look differently. And so what we find is, is the significance of what is being presented is the same, but the way it's presented is different. Right? And, and the important thing is the meaning of what is being said. And, and you go, okay, well, what's the meaning of that? Well, typically the ox is said to represent strength. The lion is, is said to represent uh, uh, royalty or nobility. The eagle represents majesty. And the man, believe it or not, represents wisdom. 
<laughs> or intelligence. So it's, it's like, okay, I have a hard, why wasn't it the face of a woman? <laughs> it might have worked a little bit better. But anyways, it's, it's the way it is. Uh, we, we don't know for sure, but, but you could conclude there's different, they're different creatures. And some people will say the seraphim are not the same as the cherubim. And what can I say? I, I can't argue with that. I can't prove it wrong. I think that they're the same creatures. I, I, I could be wrong. But, but if we look at the descriptions, we find the symbolism of the creatures is the same. And so we come back to my statement I used to say as we were earlier in Revelation, quite often, uh, Revelation or apocalyptic uh, prophecy is the modern art of, of the Bible. It is, it, it is, you don't look at what it looks like, you look at the message that is being presented. Okay, uh, by the way, if you want a little bit more on that, look at the, de the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, and, and, and you have, you know, the, the feet of bronze, the, the forked, or the, the tongue like a sword coming out of his mouth, and, and John sees it, and he falls down at his feet. It's clearly what John did see in this vision, but I hope it's not what Jesus actually looks like when we meet him, right? Because that would be uh, too much for me to handle. I think John accurately described Jesus as he saw him. Uh, uh, we can find other examples. Satan is described as the dragon with seven heads. Uh, we have the description of the beast and so on. And so we have, I'm saying all this to remind us that as John is describing the river of the water of life and the tree of life, he is, we are seeing this in a vision. This goes back and applies to last week's message, by the way, on, on uh, the New Jerusalem. Don't get hung up on, on a physical river and a physical tree. At the same time I say that, I, I hope they're there. But what's more important is, is the, what they represent to us, what they're saying to us, what, what, it, what it means to have a river of water of life and a tree of life. But, but God's point is not that we will have fruit and water in heaven, right? One of the most common things to say is, well, I know we'll be eating in heaven because there's the river, the, the tree of the fruit of life. Okay, uh, well, okay, that, that could be, but that's not the point. That's not why he tells us that. That is a really minuscule point of what he's trying to get across when he's saying these things. Uh, do, do we have, because if it is, do we have to eat the fruit to live? Do we have to drink that water? If we get to heaven but don't drink the water, do we have to go? <laughs> right? Or, or do we die? Do we have to sustain ourselves? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Uh, and, and can you imagine a billion people around one tree? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many people will be in heaven, but if, if you know, John shared in, in his sermon a few weeks ago uh, that, that over the history of the planet, there have been 11 billion people on the planet. And, and so it's not, and then I think of, I think of, you know, I, be, I believe all the babies uh, will be there. Uh, of you know every people, tribe, and, and nation, all that thing. It's not hard at all to say a billion people will be in heaven. Maybe two billion. I don't know. But picture them around one tree trying to eat the fruit. <laughs> right? it, and actually, we're going to see that it probably wasn't just it isn't talking about just one tree. But uh, you get you get the point. It is it, it, it doesn't work very well. Uh, it, it, I think if God wants it to work that way, it will be physically doable. God can work out the details. I'm, I'm not worried about that. Uh, but I don't think the passage, the message of the passage is that these two things will be there. I think the message of the passage is that what is represented by a river of water of life and a tree of life is there. So, so let's take that for a minute and look at the river of the water of life. And first I just want to say water beats everything. You know, I like coffee. I like I like, uh, we went to, I went to Longhorn Friday night, 
had a, had a strawberry lemonade. I like strawberry lemonade. Got a refill because I like it a lot. <laughs> right? uh, it, it's, it's good stuff. It's, it, I like it. But water beats everything. When you're really thirsty, water beats everything. Now, there's a lot. I'm not knocking other good drinks. You know, the strawberry lemonade, juice, milk, coffee. For some of you, tea, even though I don't understand that. Uh, when I am working hard, I am a Gatorade or Powerade-aholic. You know, whatever is out there that's replenishing the, 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 the electrolytes and stuff, I'm drinking that because I, I get cramped up and, and I don't like it. And so I, I want lots of the stuff they say is going to kill us. Uh, and, 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 but, but still, when it comes to pure refreshment, water beats everything. Especially, I like ice water. I, I'm constantly filling, I have a little sippy cup, <laughs> grown-up sippy cup, you know, the straw. And it's, I'm constantly walking, filling this thing with water and ice and, and, and walking around with it because water is awesome. I love water. It is God's refreshing thing. And, and when I hear the river of the water of life, I picture cool, refreshing water and a life that feels like that. A life that is is. Uh, it has got a source of this cool refreshment constantly uh, uh, provided. Uh, John 4, 7 to 14. If, if there's a, a, a passage in scripture that I think helps us to understand this, it's John chapter 4 where he meets the woman at the well. And, and I took us there a few weeks ago. I'm going to take us back there again. John chapter 4, verses 7 to 14. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into, buy, to buy, into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? And Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow, I want that water. To never be thirsty again. A perpetual state of being refreshed. I can't even begin to imagine that. My, 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 I cannot wrap my, man, my mind around a concept like that. I can say it, I can say I believe it, but I cannot picture it. And yet I believe that's what it means. I don't think we can begin to really understand what the blessings of heaven will be, but part of it is going to be this constant reward, rewarded sense of refreshed. Uh, and the thing is, is you and I have it now. Uh, in a sense, we have, because we have the Holy Spirit. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have Jesus Christ. He says, he doesn't say to that woman, I'll give it to you in eternity. He says, I'll give it to you, and we have it. But you might respond very quickly, well, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I feel dry sometimes. Why do I sometimes feel so unsatisfied? And there's a lot of answers to that. Uh, there, there's more than one answer. And, and, and I think the, the biggest one, if we want to just make it really easy, it's sin. Sin destroys that feeling. Sin blo blocks off the flow, uh, if you want to put it that way. Uh, the lack of fellowship 
I have with God caused, caused, caused by my sin or by my laziness, my unwillingness, my distraction to other things, my unwillingness to listen to the Spirit when He tries to direct me in some way, and so on and so on. Why do I not feel this constant set of refreshment? It's not God's fault, this constant sense of refreshment. It's my fault. I mess it up. I interrupt the flow. But in that day, nothing will interrupt the flow. It will be the way it's supposed to be. We will not merely be, have it theoretically. We will not have it potentially. It will be ours, this constant perpetual satisfaction. We will never be thirsty again. In John, we have the picture of a spring. In Revelation, we have the picture of a river. Either one is a picture of an uninterrupted flow of water. Right? It's not a well that we have to, have to walk to, to get to. It's not a cistern that you can go, go and hope it's not dry. It is a perpetually running, uh, from John, bubbling up within us. In Revelation, it's running down the, the middle of the street. It is a drought-proof supply flowing straight from the throne of God. Uh, and, and, and it says it's bright as crystal. You know, bottled waters claim that, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they claim pure, sparkling uh, spring water. And you go, okay, if you say so. Uh, glacier water. I was, I was on Mount Rainier once, and uh, we were up there just under the glacier. And they had a pipe that I don't know how they laid this pipe, but it was coming down, and it was, it was, it was trickling out this glacier water. And, and you could drink it. And I, I think I had a little bottle because you hike on the mountain, you take your bottle. And I was filling it up from that, and some guy walked by, and he says, could be bad, could be beavers upstream. And I looked up at the glacier. <laughs> there are no beavers up there, sorry. <laughs> this, this is good water. I, I didn't say you're an idiot, but I thought it. <laughs> and, and I filled it up, and I drank the water right in front of him because this was good water. It was, it was awesome, and, and it is always only good. Right? It is, it is everything as advertised. And it runs through the middle of the street of the city of God. It's, it's a way of saying you can't miss it. You have to go out of your way to avoid it. In Davenport, it would be Morgan Street. Not Main Street, because Main Street isn't the Main Street. Morgan Street's the Main Street for whatever. I mean, we all read that in the paper. They explained it. But, but, <laughs> but in Davenport, you can't miss Morgan Street. I mean, if you really try hard, you can avoid it. But otherwise, it's there. You can't miss it. In Spokane, it would be division, right? Especially if you're from out of town. That's why they put everything on division, so we out-of-towners can find it, right? Because we can find things on division. You take it a block off division, we can't find it. because. You know, but, but down the main street, you can't miss it. That the, the, river, uh, the, the river of life is flowing down the, the middle of the river of the city. I mean, the, the middle of the street of the city. It is unavoidable when you go to the city of God, right? It is unavoidable when you are in the new Jerusalem, when you are there. Uh, it, it, is, it is unavoidable. You can't miss it. Uh, you don't have to seek the river of life. It will be there. Uh, abundant, uh, unavoidable, refreshing, perpetual, right? Life. Not just life. When Jesus said, I came to give life and life more abundant, that's what he's describing. That is what, it, what is being said here. And we think we have life now, but, but wait, there's so much more. So let's, let's move on from the river of the water of life to the tree of life, right? Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, we, we introduce uh, the river, the tree of, of life, right? 
Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Should be really easy to find, except in your Bible, how many pages are there before page 1? You know, it's just not right. But anyway, uh, <laughs> Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made it to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil are put there. They're in the middle of the tree. And let's skip ahead to verses 16 and 17. And and we read this. Uh, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So they're not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there's nothing said about not eating the tree of the, of the, the, the fruit of the tree of life. And it's like, it should be a beeline straight to that tree. It's like, like, how much do you delay before you go to it? It, 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 but it's, 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 it, by the way, this part is not a vision. When I talk about in Revelation, it's a vision. There may be a tree or may not. The important thing is what it represents. In, in the Garden of Eden, it was a tree. How do we know it's a tree? Because it's not a vision. It's simply told. We're told this is what it was. There, there was a tree. It was a tree with the fruit uh, of life. And uh, when they're kicked out of the garden, it is so that they won't eat the fruit of the tree and live, right? Chapter 3, verses 22 and t- through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And it was specifically so that he could not get to the tree of life that man was kicked out of the garden. He was, the the wages of sin is death. And and you want to rephrase that a little bit? The wages of sin is the inaccessibility of life. The inaccessibility of the tree of life. The inability to preserve life. That's the wages of sin. And what the tree represents in Genesis is what it represents in, in Revelation. It represents life. Picture that tree. I picture the tree. John and Jen are out walking on their property one day. And they come across the tree of life. You don't know it's the tree of life. You just go, you look at it and you say, hey, there's this tree. I've never seen fruit quite like this. And John, being a proper survival trained guy, is not about to take the first bite of this fruit. So he brings it to church and says, hey, Steve. (laughs) Steve will eat it. He'll eat anything. And Steve will. So I take a bite of that tree. My hair turns kind of blonde, a little curly, a little of this thing's gone, you know, a little, little sag goes away, and, and I start looking a little taller, and John says, give me that back. <laughs> what would you do to have that tree, right? What would you do to have that tree? What, what could, how, you could charge a million dollars of fruit and put it on an easy payment plan, a buck a year for the next million years. 50,000 years of interest, <laughs> right? And, and who, could, who, could, who couldn't pay it? It'd be easy. It, I mean, it's like that tree would be so awesome. They just let it go. Adam and Eve 
clearly misunderstood the significance of the tree until they sinned and realized they were naked. And God brought them the hides of animals and said, you can't go back in. Because I can't imagine their minds, because they had never seen death. And they, they, it may have taken them a minute. I mean, I can imagine it took a minute or two for them to realize what God was holding. What is that? I've never seen anything like that. And, and you turn it over and you go, wait a minute. Something had to die. And how long is your thought process before you go, I have to get to that tree? Right? I don't think it took very long. And I think when they did realize it, it was with a sense of utter urgency. I have to get to that tree. Because the wages of sin is death. And God said, you can't get to that tree. The way is blocked off, and you can't go there. Sin has brought death, and death has blocked the way to the tree of life. And in eternity, the tree is back. In eternity, the tree is returned. The tree that means perpetual life, eternal life. Uh, and it is there in abundance. Look at the phrase back in Revelation, where it's, he's talking about the tree. Listen to this. He says, uh, verse 2, through the middle of the street of the city, still talking about the river, semicolon, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. It says on either side of the river. That strongly implies, we're not talking about one tree. Either that or it was one of those big drive through trees. Anybody ever gone to the drive through tree? I went to the drive through tree. There's actually a couple of them in California among the sequoias and redwoods and things, and, and, and they have trees that you could drive through, but we couldn't drive through because we had a 12-passenger van. <laughs> and so we parked and walked through. It was a walk-through tree for us. But they're trees big enough for you to drive through, and they're living trees because they're that big. So it could be the tree of life is a big drive through type tree because it's got to span the river without blocking the river, right? Or we're talking about a lot of trees. It is a type of tree. Right? A type of tree, and it's all along the banks of, of this river. The idea being, being that it's abundant. It's not merely a tree of life, but it's an abundant tree of life. It is a well offered, I mean, uh, it is offered in abundance. Uh, there are, and, and it says there are 12 kinds of fruit. And it says it bears its fruit each month. And my impression is there's a fruit of the month going on here. <laughs> right? And it's like, I like December. No, no, January's better. Everybody knows January's better. Okay, but I make juice out of March. So <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I don't know. You know, and, and it's always fruitful. It's always bearing. It's never barren. You never go to this tree and not find life. There is always life. It is always there in abundance, never ending, always available. And, and it's just what we find here is, is this uh, two ways of describing this unavoidable richness of life that is there in heaven. Life is there in abundance. And, and, and so do we need it? Do we need to eat this fruit? Uh, you know, we're in heaven. We already have eternal life. I think if, if, if that tree is really there, and I hope it is, for some reason I just like the idea of that tree being there. I like the idea of grabbing a piece of fruit and sitting down 
and talking in a relaxed way with someone while eating this fruit. It just sounds good to me, you know? It, it sounds, especially Joan and I were talking about this yesterday because um, we, a lot of times we'll talk about the message beforehand and especially if she's not going to be able to be here. And we were, we were having coffee at the time and I said, you know, I hope, I hope uh, one of the fruits of the tree is the coffee bean. <laughs> and you can squeeze a little juice out of it, <laughs> right? Because, because I, I, I just find that relaxing. I find that, I find it, Joan and I, we love to sit and drink coffee and visit. It, it's just our, and I, that's what I picture. That's, that's one of the many things I picture. Now, for some of you, you may be saying, man, I want a little more excitement. <laughs> I want my fruit. I'm going to take uh, June because it's got more zing to it. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, it's, 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 I don't think we need it, but I, I hope it's there. I hope it's real. Uh, but I think what we're finding is a symbolic expression of the life and health that we always long for, that we always wish could be ours. Uh, there's no reason it can't literally be there. And I know of no reason why we couldn't literally eat the fruit. But then it goes on. It says a few little things. And it says the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. And, and, and that seems like an odd statement a little bit. Okay, are, are there going to be nations? Are there, you know, what's going on? And I think that's exactly the point. I think, you know, what is the church? The church is made up of people of all peoples and nations and tribes except those few in Papua New Guinea that Stephen Beck you're going to reach. <laughs> no, all, all peoples and tribes. He said, you know, he said, this word of mine will go out into all the world before the end comes. And, and uh, there will be people of, of all the... There won't be any divisions of nations anymore. There won't be a... a, a you know, I mean, think about what countries do you hear and it makes you nervous or angry or or just outright scared, or you just wonder about, right? Think about, think about, you know, if I say Russia, you know, if you go back to the 50s, I remember mom putting away bottled chlorinated water in our basement. This is in the 60s, uh, Kennedy's Cuba scare time, right? Um, because she was afraid uh, th this is what they were telling people to do because we're going to be nuked. We go on today, it might be China. It might be Iran or Iraq. It might be North Korea. Why do we have a migrant problem, right? And we think, and, and, and as I say these words, some of us think different, have different emotions come up with that. Because the nations are not healed, right? But what are we talking, we're talking about healing of nations. It will be, you know, the only thing there will be uh, an eternal version of what the church at least is supposed to be. And there will be no nations, there will be no divisions, there will be no us and them. And, and I think that's what's being said by that. There will no longer be anything accursed. Remember I keep saying there's five, five of these statements uh, about those who aren't going to be there. This is the third, and that's as long as it is, there will be no more accursed. And it's just a reminder, you know, while there is the life, this kind of life on the out inside, there's something else on the outside. And whatever it is, it's, it's not this life that we are going to have. And, and why, once again, why are these statements in there? And I believe very much, you know, because there's five of them in these last two chapters of Revelation where he's just describing the awesomeness of heaven. And I think it's so that we are reminded that we don't just get to go there because we get to go there. We get to go there because we are the people of God. 
The New Jerusalem represents the people of God. We, you know, the, the 12 gates, the 12 foundations, the people of God, the message of God, the, 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 you know, everything about it, it's, it's representing the people of God. You don't get to go there just because you are a people. You get to go there because you are part of the people of God. And, and there will be something outside. I remember Steve's dad having a phrase, we'll all have new bodies, right? Some of us, they will be glorified bodies, and some of it will be asbestos bodies. Did you ever hear him say that phrase? You, know, you didn't take the right classes from him. I'm sorry. So <laughs> but, but it's like, it's not, it's kind of a humorous way to put it, but it's not a humorous picture. It's not a pleasant picture. Uh, but he puts it here in the middle of all this glory and life, and I believe it's important. I believe that phrase is not put there by accident. It's important so that we remember we need to be his. We need to be his people. Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for our sins so that we could accept him. We could receive the gift of eternal life. For you, be sure that you have received that gift. Be sure you are at least available and able to share that gift with others that need it. And then we find the throne of God will be there. We will see his face, or they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. A statement of possession. Andy on Toy Story writing his name on Buzz's foot. <laughs> right? and, and Woody looking at his shoe to see Andy still written there. Not, in, not as well because you know, Andy's growing up, but uh, it's a sign of possession. Our names will be on his forehead. His name will be on our foreheads. Uh, the night will be no more. There will be, need no light of lamp or sun. The Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Father God, we thank you for the blessings you give. I thank you for the blessings of eternal life. And Father, these hints, these glimpses of what eternal life will be, of what it will mean, of the, of the, the glory and the privilege and the blessing that will be ours. Father, I ask for each one of us to truly have that salvation that you give, that we are truly citizens of this heaven of this city, of this place. Father, I ask for our loved ones that we would be able to share with them, that they would see, Father, that, that we would be able to make that difference. And, and Lord, I'll, I'll specifically lift up Steve and Becky as they go off to Papua New Guinea to, to be able to make that difference and help to reach, a, reach new peoples, peoples that have not yet heard your word in their language, maybe have not heard of Jesus at all, that they will hear and be able to, to become a part of this wonderful people of God with no division. Lord, I thank you for all the good things you do for us. I seek your blessing. In Jesus' name.